Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter number 3 tonight. Tonight we are looking and studying the history of Israel beginning with the king of Saul. We saw him in 1 and 2 Samuel and it spilled over to King David. Now as we start to dive into 1 Kings, we have seen Christ, a foreshadowing of Christ in Solomon. He is the son of David. That's what Christ called himself. However, Solomon has now took the throne after his elder statesman, his father, has passed on. And now we've seen how he secured the throne back in chapter number 2 as he took care of rivals who were taking place or trying to supplant him behind the scenes. Already God has chosen Solomon outside of Absalom and his older brother Abinadjah. Absalom being beautiful, a man without a flaw from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, but he was eat up with pride. He was eat up with selfish ambition as much as Abinadjah was. With his ambition as he went and he jumped the gun and tried to proclaim himself as king. With all his ambition, he was a go-getter. We have beauty, we have beauty and ambition here. But God overlooked all of them and chose Solomon. We remember back in 2 Samuel, whenever Nathan the prophet came up to David at the birth of Solomon and called him Jedidiah. Jedidiah is a Hebrew word that means a beloved of the Lord. That God had anointed this young man to take the throne. Now, what was it about Solomon that God decided to bless him? I don't know. And that's the story of each and every person that's gathered here tonight and those who are listening by podcast and the internet. I don't know why God blesses anybody. In fact, it's a, it's a miracle. It's, a, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing grace. Amen. That any of us, that He shows favor to any of us. In fact, He should hate us. But He loved us before we loved Him. Amen. Somebody. So if you look in tonight, look in Solomon's prayer for wisdom in 1 Kings chapter number 3. Go ahead ahead and follow along with me tonight as Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh king of Egypt he took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem well, we need to know a little bit of background as we jump here in chapter number 3. That the alliance that's made here with Solomon and the king of or the pharaoh of Egypt is a marriage alliance. It's not like a normal alliance where you will sit down at the table and tell each other that I have your back and you have mine. This is a marriage alliance. It doesn't say in chapter number 3 who actually instituted this marriage. It doesn't say that Solomon did it for political reasons. He, he very much could have done it out of love because that's why we have the Song of Solomon. If you read that, that's mostly poetry as he's writing to a woman that says that has dark skin, ivory teeth and ivory eyes, that her her bosom is like the goats that run down from the cliffs. I know that sounds very beautiful and poetic, but that's how Solomon described this one wonderful woman who very much was the daughter of the Pharaoh. Now we can see that Solomon is the son-in-law of King of Pharaoh, the king of all of Egypt. But this alliance has taken place. But I want you to see that he took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. As we can remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see uh, we see a chronological order of the overview of all of creation. And then chapter number 3, it brings it down to earth. We zoom in very closely as the conversation between 
between Eve and the serpent takes place and then we see the fall. As you read chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, you would almost say that chapter 3 doesn't make any sense. But we remember that chapter 1 and 2 is an overview. That's what we see here in chapter number 3 of 1 Kings, uh, verse number 1. That this is a general overview. And I'll give you some background to let you know that Solomon didn't build the house of the Lord until the fourth year of his reign. How do you know that, preacher? Well, it's found in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. If you're taking notes, it's 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the 480th year of the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, and Mount Aziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. So we see here in verse number 1 of chapter 3 that four years into his reign, he has began to build the house of the Lord. Now we also know that David, even though God, he had a longing to build God a place, a central place of worship. And God had chose a place to say, this is where I'll put my name. And David longed to build it, but God sent the prophet to David and said, you have too much bloodshed on your hands to build me a temple. The reason being is because David was a man of war and he would also mirror Muhammad. If you don't know who Muhammad is, he wrote the Quran and he is called by Allah as his prophet. Now we can look at history and know that Muhammad was one who bore the sword. He came out of a, a tribe over in the Middle East that worshipped the moon and he evolved into Islam. But if you did not confer and bow the knee and submit to Muhammad... He would kill you. And that is not the religion of peace. The religion of peace is established by the Prince of Peace that we submit our need to Him, not because someone puts a sword to our neck and tells us we're going to take off your head if you don't join our team. But we see here that David was a man of war. So God did not want a man of war. He wanted a man of peace. So He chose Solomon not even to be in the same scope of Islam. I understand that Islam is one of the fastest growing religions in the globe, mostly in the Philippines. You would realize that it's not in the iron iron curtain. It's not ever it's not over in that 1040 window of the Middle East, but it's found mostly in the Philippines. But pray for that area that God will penetrate the darkness and the truth of Jesus Christ will go in there and change hearts. Amen. But we see in 1 Kings chapter 6 that now you know that Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in the fourth year. But we also see in chapter number 3 that he took his new bride, Pharaoh's daughter, he brought her into the city of David until he had finished his own house. Now, how? what was the priority of Solomon building his own house? Well, we can look at your house and see how you handle your house. Do you keep things in order? Do you make sure that your house is in order? Do you handle your property? And, and it will reflect how you treat the house of the Lord. If you're neglectful to your own house, then obviously the house of the Lord will be neglectful. And the fourth year, David, I mean Solomon, began working on the house of the Lord. So we see that he took precedence over his own house because he didn't begin building his own house until 13 years into his reign. We can find that in 1 Kings chapter 7. If you're taking notes, it's 1 Kings chapter 7, verse number 1. 
Solomon was, was building his own house 13 years and he finished his entire house. Now it doesn't say that it took him 13 years. It be, he began building his house 13 years. So he took care of the house of the Lord first before he took care of his own house. That he had his priorities straight. In fact, the rest of 1 Kings chapter 3 tells us that Solomon was a man to honor God in all aspects of his life. But there was a couple of things that did not line up with the way God wanted. But we'll, we'll look at those as we continue here. I want you to look in chapter number 3 of 1 Kings. We see he had finished building his own house of the Lord and, and the wall around Jerusalem. That he strengthened the wall. We already know that David, when he went into the, the stronghold of Jerusalem from fighting the Jebusites, he went in at the millow is what they call it. He established that stronghold and he began to strengthen the walls. But uh, Solomon does the same. He strengthens the walls around Jerusalem. And verse number 2, the people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. We see in verse number 2 that there was no centralized place of worship. We know that, that there was a tabernacle at this point because this is the same tabernacle that was at Nod. If you remember when Saul went into Nod, the hometown of the high priest, and slaughtered everybody because, we got, because God turned Saul over to his own heart as a reprobate. And when he did, he went in and killed all the high priests. So Nod was the central place of worship. The Ark of the Covenant was found there. That's where Eli was and his sons were there. And the, 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 the priesthood was corrupt at this point. But once Saul went in and he slaughtered the people, we also read that David brought the Ark of the Covenant from Gilgal and brought it to Jerusalem. So we see there's a spread out place for the people are to worship. There was no official temple at this point. Yes, there was the altar of incense. If you remember, that's where Joab went and he was hanging on to the horns of the altar looking for mercy and daring Solomon to kill him. And he sent his executioner to kill him and in that place. But we can see the incense and the altar of the Holy of Holies are separated from the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant being in Jerusalem and the temple now at Gilgal. So we see that the people are not centralized. So they start to worship any and everything. But we understand that just because there was not a central place, and I know I know there's people who say, Well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And, and to be honest, Congregation, there's a church on every corner, so there's no excuse to say there are no churches. There are a plenty of churches. There's more churches in our town than there are McDonald's. Amen, somebody. There's a lot of churches. In fact, the last time I looked, now I believe it was about 15 years ago, in the Goldsboro zip code, in the Goldsboro zip code, there are over 500 churches that are registered. Some come in and out. They go to storefronts. Some of them open and some close every day. But at 500, there's plenty of churches for everybody to go to. But we're we're on the other side of the covenant. We're, or we are the church, but at this point, the people are to gather and have the high priest there minister to the people. But they go up to the high places. If you remember when we studied the book of Judges, the high places were considered places of, uh, of idolatry. That they would go there and play the harlot. That they would play on the high places. The high places are not necessarily mountaintops. They would worship there with altars because they felt closer to heaven at such an elevation. 
it. But here we see here in 1 Kings chapter number 3 that the people were sacrifices in the high places. Now it doesn't say that the people were whoring after other idols. It doesn't say that they were apostate. But they were at other places in high places. However, because there was no house yet built for the name of the Lord. So the writer here who was possibly Nathan or Gad or some other prophet wrote here and made that point because as the writing there was a centralized place of worship. Now we see in verse number 3 Solomon loved the Lord. Could that be said of you if I read the book of David, if I read the book of Miss Hartley, if I read the book of Miss Sheila or Miss Connie or the book of Will. Well let's say that they, they, Kevin, Miss Barbara, love the Lord. <coughs> I certainly hope so. But it certainly says here that Solomon loved the Lord. We know that it was not Solomon's opinion. Because 2 Timothy 3.15 says, All word of Scripture is inspired by God and the Holy Spirit. It's good for correction and reproof and training and righteousness. This is the very words of God. And it says that Solomon loved the Lord. Who better to know that, he, he, that, that Solomon loved the Lord than the Lord? Lord himself. Amen. So we see in verse number 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. I want to let you know in verse number 3 that David was not perfect. That David had flaws. He killed his giants. He led his soldiers into battle. He prayed and asked God to sustain him. He had weaknesses. There were times when he was susceptible to emotions. Remember when he was going to kill the man and Abigail showed up and said, isn't he an idiot anyway? And God struck him dead that night and God took revenge instead of David lifting his hand up and killing somebody. We see where David was susceptible to lust and he was susceptible to pride. We read about the senses that he counted the people of Israel trying to see how many people there were so he can puff himself up and God chastised him. It's good to know that when God loves you, he don't leave you to yourself. It's good to know that he corrects those that are his. But we see here that Solomon walked in the statues of David, his father, only, uh-oh, only. He did everything right. He loved God only. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. In verse number 3, the author here, who probably was one of the prophets, who wrote here, he said, he loved God, but he only did this. I'm sure if there was a book of Kevin, there will be, he, he, he's doing the best he can. He, he loves God. He stumbles a lot. Only, only this, his temper, his sarcasm. He, he gets tripped up. He gets so discouraged so easy. He listens to everybody sometimes but God. I'm sure if that was your story, it would sound very familiar. He, she loves God, only she does this. She's a 10, but she does this. She's a, he's a 10, but he does that. And only, God still loves us even if we don't walk perfectly before Him. I want to let you know that 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. I tell you, it's easy to love someone who already loves you and loves you in spite of you. We see here that Solomon loved God, but we must understand that God loved him first. At his birth, the prophet told his father, he is the loved of the Lord. He's beloved of the Lord. That is true for you, saint. If there's an only in your verse, uh, you love the Lord but this. You love the Lord, but you're still dealing with this issue for the last 10 years. You love the Lord, but you just hadn't got over this issue or got around this mountain or you're still in this valley. We love because He first loved us. 
We can read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Remember church, you don't earn the love of the, you don't earn the love of the Lord. You don't earn favor and mercy and grace. We can read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We see here that we are saved once again by grace. It's easy to love somebody who already loves you. Amen. I want you to understand what it says in Romans chapter 3 verse 24. And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. This evening, I, I want to tell you, Solomon loved the Lord, but only. He loves you, but only. You deal with these issues, but He still loves you. But love keeps no count of records of wrong. When He forgives, He forgets your iniquities and your sins. Amen. That's good to somebody that He loves you in spite of you. God loves Solomon even though he had these issues. And we'll learn later on in his elder years that he was not as close to the Lord. But here at this point, the Bible tells us that Solomon loved the Lord. In fact, Solomon's getting ready to pray. He's getting ready to ask God for something. Or really, God asks him something. And I want you to see in verse number 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. In verse number 4, And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. We see in verse 4 that Gibeon was now the place where probably the altar of incense and the tabernacle was. As the Ark of the Covenant was back in Jerusalem. But he goes there to offer a thousand, a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. The Bible doesn't say if Solomon actually did it himself. It doesn't say if he administered it. But he goes there to worship. I want you to understand in a moment God will ask Solomon something. But there's a routine that Solomon followed because it tells us that Solomon loved the Lord. When you love somebody there's usually something that shows you love something. There's a, there's a, a meditation on it. There's works that follow. There's something that you do to show love and appreciation of something and we see it in his worship. Solomon worshipped the Lord. He loved the Lord and he worshipped the Lord. You can say I love Jesus all day long, but you might not worship Him and that will show everybody you don't love Him. For Jesus even says they profess me with their mouth, but the hearts are far from me. Is that true of you, listener? Do you say I love Jesus? Many people love His church, but they really don't love Jesus. Many people love the idea of Jesus, but they don't love Jesus and they don't worship Him. But we see here in our text tonight that Solomon worships the Lord. He goes there and he brings a thousand burnt offerings to the altar. And at verse 5, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. 
And God said, ask what I shall give you. In verse number 5, it's God who does the asking. Maybe you have always wondered, and maybe you've heard it always said, that Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom. No, God came to him and said, ask of me. He is the one who gives. For Socrates and great philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, they can only reveal what's in their heart and their mind as far as wisdom. But the one who can give it is only found in the Lord. He is the only one who can give wisdom. We, we can see in verse number 5 that he says, ask of me. What can you ask of me? I want to let you know that God is not a respecter of persons. That this Jewish monarch who lived for almost 3,000 years ago, he, he received much benefit from God. But the same is extended to you, believer, that you can ask of the Lord. And He tells you, ask of me. In Acts chapter 2, no, Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. For anyone who asks, receives, is what Jesus says. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus says, if you ask, you will receive. I, I want to let you know that the, the request that Solomon asks of the Lord, he receives. What makes him different than you and I? Why would God give him what he asked? And Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, asking of the Lord. And James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, that it will be given him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven, tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We see here that when God asked Solomon to ask him, he's telling him, believe that I'm able to give you what you ask. So let's continue and see what does he ask. After worshiping God, he comes by a dream and not. No, but I want to go and let everybody know in verse number five. Does God still speak to us by dreams? It's possible, but the book of Hebrew tells us that we don't need that anymore. If you have a dream and have a revelation of God, that's not needed. That's out of date. That's old. We have the written word of God here. For Hebrews tells us, I believe it's in Hebrews chapter number one, and times past, he spoke to us by visions and dreams, but now he speaks to us. By His Son, which is Christ Jesus. So that's why we say sola scriptura here. You might have a dream and you might feel a certain type of way. But it, right, it really might be that chili dog you had right before bed. Amen. So why don't you filter everything through the Word of God. Stack it up to the Word of God. If you want to hear the voice of God, a perfect guardrail for you, believer, is to say the words of God out loud, which is the holy writ, holy text. Sola scriptura, the Bible in the Bible alone. But we see here at this time the revelation that's being revealed. Solomon didn't have the revelation that you have, believer, because you're on the other side of the cross. We look over our shoulders as the cross was 2,000 years ago. At this point, Solomon's looking forward at the seed of David, not just being himself, but the promise of God that's being revealed verse, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, until we get to the Gospels. But here, he has a dream. A dream by night. And God asked him, Ask what I can, shall give you, is what he says. In verse number 6, And Solomon said, 
You shall, you, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Though I am a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. I want you to notice here, he's asking for wisdom. He says, first of all, I remember what you did for my father David. And whenever you want to ask God to answer your prayers, there are certain steps that you should mirror from this text. And we'll go through them. But I want to let you know that it says in James chapter 1, verse 5, it tells you if you like wisdom, ask of God. The same opportunities that Solomon had, the same God that spoke to Solomon, telling him, ask me what you need, is speaking to you tonight. If you need wisdom, ask of me. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. That Solomon didn't have the golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. That you also have the same promises that Solomon, the king of all of Israel, has. In John chapter 16 verse 23, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. I want you to know here that Solomon didn't pray for a golden BMW. He didn't pray for a house in the Hamptons. He didn't pray for worldly wishes, riches. He, he actually says, I'm humbling myself. I remember what she done for David. And here I am as a child. Now that's not necessarily at this point his age. But it's also his attitude. He has humbled himself as a child. If you have children or you know children, if you're in a room full of people, the, a child usually will enter humbly, not believing that it's all about them. Especially if that child realizes who's in the room. A bunch of adults who are very important. We should humble ourselves before a holy and sovereign God. Not walking in and peacocking ourselves, believing we're all that in a bag of chips. We walk in humbly. That's what Solomon does. He says, behold, I am like a little child. I bring no value to this conversation. You're the gift and I'm the receiver is what he says here he says I do not know how to go out or to come in for it was his father David who was placed there by this mighty God who's telling him ask me of anything and I'll give it to you in verse number 8 your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people too many to be numbered or counted for multitude we see in verse number 8 that Solomon is admitting that this task is overwhelming even though God had appointed Solomon to be king God had handpicked Solomon to be there much like you, believer, you might say, well, what's so special about me? God handpicked you to sit in the pew you're in now. God handpicked you to be in the family that you're in, to have the skin tone that you do, to have the same last name you are, to be married to who you are or was, or to be single. God placed you there because the Bible tells us that He has ordered my boundaries. My lines have fell in pleasant places. He knows my rising up and my lying down, my, the numbers of hair 
on my head. He, he knows a thought before I even conjure it up, before a word rolls off my tongue. God has already experienced that. So here Solomon is acknowledging that God put David there and God had put him there. And it's overwhelming in this task. He's saying, my David did so good. He was a poet. He was a warrior. And here I am but a youth. I'm a child. I have inexperience. I don't know what I'm doing. And many people, uh, there's this new thing that pop psychologists have uh, revealed. It's called the imposter syndrome. It's where you walk into a room and you're afraid that people will realize you're not really who you are. and You're, you're a fake or you're not really qualified to do the task at hand. And you feel uh, unqualified. But here Solomon is not worried about imposter syndrome, any pop psychology. He's feeling the weight of the crown on his head and says the people are mighty. Too many be numbered. And you want me to shepherd them? I am a child. I don't even know what I'm doing. He says, how to, I don't know how to come in or to go out. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. That you chose me to be among a chosen people, a holy priesthood, a, a, a particular nation, and a great people to be numbered, counted, or multitude. God has chosen you to be in the family you're in, to have influence. Or maybe you say, I don't know how to be a father. I don't know how to be a mother. I don't know how to be a grand, ma, grandmother. I, I feel like I'm blowing him. Well, if you like wisdom, cry out to the one who gives wisdom. I don't know how to re be retired. I don't know how to continue in a job. I don't know how to be faithful in this avenue. Crying to the one who gives wisdom. We see in verse number 9. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people? We see that Solomon he doesn't ask for worldly riches. He doesn't ask for fame. He didn't ask to be infamous. He didn't ask to be notorious. He asked for God to enhance him in the very place that he put him. That's seeking back to Christian, will you put ye first the kingdom of God? He doesn't ask for people to know him around the globe. Well, they really will eventually because the Lord will actually bless him more than he can even ask. But later on in Isaiah, there will be another king who doesn't even ask the Lord for anything. His name is Ahaz. He will not even ask the Lord for any kind, of, any kind of sign. It's found in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 12. Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. I'm asking you tonight, will you be like Solomon or will you be like Ahaz? Will you not ask the Lord for anything? Will you not ask Him for great miracles, great understanding and wisdom? Will you not ask Him at all? Or will you simply humiliate yourself, humble yourself and extend yourself before the Lord and say, God, I'm lacking. I lack experience, knowledge and understanding. I don't know how to do this. And Lord, will you help me, endow me, strengthen me, undergird me? Ahaz must be so proud that he does not need any help. He's too good to save. He's too good and righteous to need any righteousness bestowed upon him. We understand that in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 Jesus tells his followers seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
Here Solomon is asking for wisdom to help govern a people. To discern between good and evil. He's asking for spiritual riches instead of being endowed with all kinds of worldly riches. In verse number 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. In verse number 10, it pleased God that he showed his humility. It pleased God he showed and he admitted it that he is not the, the hero of the story. He's not the one who is writing the narrative. He's admitting that he is helpless without the intervention of God. That's the key step of having your prayer answered here tonight. First of all, when God asked Solomon, will you ask of me? He's extending that to you as well. Will you ask of Him what you need? But you also humiliate and humble yourself before God and say, God, uh, this is what I need. You don't need a raise at your job. You don't need uh, a nice car or a bigger house. You don't really need those things. But I want to tell you a way to have wisdom and discernment. Imagine a father who owns a car lot. He has many vehicles at his disposal, any kind of vehicle you want. A wise child of that father, when the father turns to the child and says, Son, you can pick out any car you want. A wise child will look to his father and say, I know what I would like, but I know I'm, I, I'm inexperienced in choosing a car. What's one that will give me the best mileage? What's one that's made the best? I don't need all, all show and no go, daddy. Show me which one. You are, are, you're more experienced than me. You know what's on the lot. Show me. Help me. And that would please the father to know that that child is wise enough to inquire of him. That's what Solomon does. He humbles himself before the giver who gives wisdom and says, I need wisdom. And that's the, the grandest jewel of them all. Show me, give me discernment between good and evil and give me understanding. That's what you need to ask for, Christian. God, give me discernment between good and evil. Help me to please you and steady me. Help me in my walk to honor you with my life. Show me how to live my days before you. Uh, steady my steps. Uh, look Illuminate my path. Lead me. Don't give me riches because my heart will lead itself away from you. Don't give me prosperity because I will forget the God who gave me prosperity. I'll get spiritual amnesia. Lord, lead me in wisdom and understanding. Amen, preacher. It pleased the Lord to hear Solomon. He asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies. But you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. So that none like you has been before you. And none like you will rise after you. God answers prayers, church. It's not just something that we read here. But He answers your prayers as well. Preacher, what do you mean? Well, if you ask half-heartedly, if you ask not even expecting God to move, then He won't. That's doubt. When you doubt that He'll even answer your prayers, you're better off not praying. Remember that God is the one who gives the Bible tells us it's blessed to give than receive. The ultimate giver is God. So He is blessed to give. 
What is it that you're asking for? I know that our carnal hearts ask for things that could be spent at the local Walmart or Target. We just want our pockets fatter. But what if, what if He endowed our hearts and our minds and our spirits to chase after souls and preach the gospel to those that are perishing? What if you can pray to our living God and He can intervene and help the prodigal in your life? What if you cry out to Him and He steadies your fragmented mind? What if you cry out to Him and He helps you along the path that is rigid, hard, and cold and lonely? If you ask, He answers is what the Bible says. Our God still answers prayers. You just forgot. You just need to be reminded that our God answers prayers. The Bible tells us the prayers of the righteous availeth much. But maybe you're here tonight and you don't feel very righteous. Well, that's okay. He supplies the righteousness. He wraps you in righteousness and robes of righteousness. It's not your good works that require God to answer your prayers. In fact, Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, Our righteousness, our righteousness, is as filthy rags. That means dirty rags. And we try to impress God with dirty rags. But He supplies everything we need. And when we believe Him, that He will intervene. He will help us in our time of need. It pleases Him to bestow upon us the blessings that He was easy, eager to give. God is more eager to answer your prayers than you're willing to even ask. God, will you help me? Get me off this bed of affliction. Maybe that's not what you need. Maybe you need faith to trust Him in the affliction. Maybe you're praying too small. You're only praying about that little storm you're in when there's a whole cosmos around you. Pray for wisdom and understanding. And if He does not heal you off the bed of affliction, there's a reason. Say, God, what, what can I learn here even though I'm afflicted in the body? Even though my mind is fragmented, what can I learn? How can my faith grow here? Lord, reveal to me wisdom and understanding because You are God. And I know that everything You send in my life is for my good. Everything, everything. The depression, the cancer. The heartache, the breakups. It's for my good. I give to you also what you have not asked. He says, I, I, I will give you what you ain't even asked for in verse 13. Both riches and honor. So that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. Here he, he asked for wisdom and God, God also gives him riches and honor. I, I want to show you the pattern of the prayer, he submits himself to God after worshiping God. Remember the thousand oxen that were slaughtered at the place of worship. He's alone with God because he's there sleeping and God comes to him in a vision that you need to be solitude away from people and the noise and worship and meditate on him and think on him. That God speaks to him and he speaks back and has his request heard of the Lord because he asked what will you ask of me? And Solomon repeats it back. Lord, I respond to you. Much like you have the text in your hand. What will you ask of Christ? What will you ask of our God who's in the heavens? Maybe we should ask that our hearts will not be carnal. That we don't waste our blessings on ourselves. Notice when Solomon asked for wisdom, it was not for himself. It was to govern the people of God. That the blessings that are at your disposal are really not for you. 
That for the people around you that God has endowed in your care, that you're supposed to be taking care of, He blesses you to be a blessing. Amen, somebody. He says in verse 13, I give you also what you haven't even asked, riches and honor, so that no other shall compare to you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. In verse 14, if you know anything of Solomon, we know in his latter years, as he grew old, he grew feeble in his faith. And maybe it was the enticing of the foreign women that came into his harem. And maybe it was him getting his focus off of God and all his prosperity. I will remind you that even though Job sat on an ash heap, weeping with open sores, crying out to God, he was closer to God in his old age on the ash heap than Solomon was on the throne of all glory over Israel because his heart had gone wayward. So don't judge people by the size of their house or how strong and how flexible their bodies are, how big their bank accounts are. Judge them on their, on their walk and their prayer life. Judge them on their wisdom and seeking out the Lord. What I do know about Solomon is that he stopped asking. He stopped praying. How do you know? Because you'll see as we continue, even though he did great exploits in his latter years, Jeroboam and Rehoboam will reap his wayward life. It will split the country right down the, two, uh, right down the middle in two because he says, if you keep my statutes and my commandments, your father will, I will lengthen your days. Yes, he lived a long time, but the throne did not unite the nation and God snatched away ten tribes from the reign of David because he told David, I'll, I'll keep uh, one of yours, one of your ancestors, one of your, one of your descendants on the throne because of my promise to you. And Solomon awoke in verse 15. And behold, it was a dream. He came to Jerusalem. Remember, he was not at Jerusalem when he initially worshipped. He was at Gibeon back in verse number 4. He was there at the altar. The brazen altar, the holy of holies, the altar of incense, the, the labyrinth. All those things were back at Gibeon. But now he comes to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered a burnt offerings and burnt sacrifices and made a feast for all his servants. In verse number 15, we see that he goes back to the Lord once the Lord comes to him. I, I want to reiterate to you, church, that you continue in your prayers. Continue crying out to God. Continue leaning on Him. Trusting Him. Luke chapter 18 verse 1 And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. Church, that we should continue to pray. You don't say, well I prayed about that thing. That's done. Let's next. Checkbox. Keep on going. I'm sure here when God speaks to Solomon, He says, if you keep my ways, in verse 14, and walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. David's last charge to his son probably ran through his mind. It's 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. If you're taking notes, 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. And you, Solomon, my son, know the Lord your, know the God of your father and serve Him with a whole heart 
with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever, is what David told his son Solomon. Solomon had his prayers answered because of five reasons. Number one, he was humble. He humbled himself before God. He admitted he is a child, that he doesn't know how to come in or out, that the task was bigger than him. And verse number two, he came from worship. He had recently been at Gibeon and worship. It's good, Christian, to be in habitual assembly and worship, worship the one true God. And verse, and, and, and the third aspect, he was alone with God, that he isolated himself. The fourth one was he sought wisdom more than riches. He sought the mind of the Lord. He sought understanding and discerning between right and wrong more than riches. And number five, he was hopeful because his father was blessed by God. He spoke to the Lord and said, you have blessed my father. You kept him and sustained him on the throne. Now you can do the same for me. Christian, when you read God's resume, which is this Bible that's laid out before you, you can understand that God was faithful to those who came before you. He was faithful to your mothers and your fathers, grandfathers, and great, 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 greats. He is faithful, and we can trust in that. But tonight, maybe you're saying, that's not enough. I need something else. Well, I'm glad you said that. I want you to turn in your Bible. Turn to Matthew. Matthew Chapter number 6 tonight, we have already examined Solomon when he prayed. And you might say, well, he must be the expert. Pastor Kevin, he must get all his prayers answered. He, He must not waver in anything. He's never wanting or lacking. He must have it all together. That's not true whatsoever. I'm completely disqualified that the someone who teaches on having all your prayers answered. But what I can do is point you to the teacher himself. The one who tells you how to have your prayers answered. How to inquire of the Lord. In Matthew chapter number 6, His disciples come to Him. The great teacher. The true Jedediah. The true Prince of Peace. Even though Solomon in all his glory, there is one greater than Him. For Solomon is just a foreshadowing of the son of David who is known as Christ. Jedediah being the beloved of the Father, the actual Son of God, Jesus Christ, is now teaching His disciples how to pray. So let's take a couple of moments here in Matthew chapter 6 verse 7. Jesus tells us, when you pray, do not eat, heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Heartless words that you just say over and over. Many think that they'll beat God down by just nagging Him to death. Whenever you pray, let there be heart behind the words. Don't heap up the words. Don't do like our friends in the Catholic cult. Hail Mary, full of grace and mercy. Hail Mary, full of grace and mercy. To gain any kind of penance before God. We don't earn our grace. Our grace is bestowed upon us by the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood. Amen. Amen. So let us come boldly before the throne of grace and ask. For our God is more willing to give than we're willing to ask. He tells us don't come and have empty phrases. Be mindful of your prayers. Think about what you will ask Him. Do not be like Him, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Verse number 8 should encourage you. 
well, what if I forget to ask about this? What if I'm a little obsessive and I didn't mention this part? I have to cover all the bases so I should stay up all night and make sure I map it all out and answer it and ask God, God, will you do this and that? No, he says he already knows before I even ask him. So if I if I omit a name and I don't call every person in the congregation out, if I don't call them out by name, my God already knows. Thank God for grace. Remember, Solomon loved the Lord only. It's so good there's room for feeble people like me around His throne. Jesus didn't die to save Superman and Wonder Woman. He came to die for people like me. I love Jesus only. I deal with this or I deal with that. The same is your story too. So our loving Father, our Teacher, and our Shepherd is telling you how to pray. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Maybe tonight, verse number 8, you don't even know what to ask. Something's wrong, God. I don't know what to do. Uh, Something's off. He knows. Ask Him. Ooh, amen. We see in verse number 9, the Master, the Shepherd, the One who models us how to pray. He says, pray like this. This is how you're supposed to pray, Christian. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First of all, He tells us that He's our Father. No longer do we call Him God. One who is just worshipped. He's part of our family. We're part of His family. Our Father who is in heaven. Well, notice that He's there and I'm here. That He is higher than I am. That I should inquire of the one who's higher than me. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. We, if you grow up in church, you might you can recite this without even trying, and you can say, Hallowed be thy name. No problem. It's a word that you use, you don't really know what it means, but it means holy is your name. Set apart. There's nothing else like you. You're in a category all by yourself. Your name is to be distinguished. Your name is to be high and lifted up. I, I, I want to let you know that I don't read anonymous letters. If you write me a letter, you better sign your name to it. Because I, far too long I've read anonymous letters and they might be spiteful, hateful, critique me. And what I'll do is turn over and say, who wrote it? Oh, okay, well that's from so-and-so. I can read this then. Even if they tell the truth, and just tear me apart. At least I know who wrote it. Our God's name is on His prayers. Our, our God says, write, write my name or whatever you need. I got you. It's not anonymous. There's a, there's a weight to His name. There's power in His name. There's freedom found in His name. There's understanding. There's grace and mercy in His name. In verse 10, He says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying in verse 10, God does everything He wants in heaven and He's going to do everything He wants here. It's not a plea in verse number 10. Please do what you're doing in heaven here. He's already doing it. Because He's high and hollowed. He's high and lifted up. He reigns over everything. In verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. That my daily supply is found in Him. That I'll wake up tomorrow if He allows it. I'll eat tomorrow if He allows it. I'll breathe my next breath if He allows it. I live and I have my substance in Him only. This is how we ought to pray. In verse 12, and forgive our debts. Lord, cast my sins into the sea of forgetfulness like it says in Malachi 7. 
Throw it afar as from the east as from the west. Don't remember my sins. Forget my debts against you. As we also forgive our debtors. He tells us to pray this way. Forgive me of my sins and help me to forgive the people around me. That's how we're supposed to pray. This is the model prayer. In verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And now I know our tradition says, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. I, that's not in here, but that's okay. There ain't nothing wrong with saying that. Go ahead and pray that. But he tells us here, lead me not into temptation. Lord, uh, we can read in the book of James that he don't lead anybody into temptation. So if you're being prompted by the Lord, if he leads your steps, if he orders your steps, if he keeps you, he's not going to lead you into any temptation. We're not to be tempted of the Lord. We're only tempted whenever our hearts are longing to be uh, enticed or when we, we desire other things other than Him. But He tells us to deliver us from evil. Well, well, you can understand in verse 13, if He don't lead us into temptation, why would we need anybody to deliver us from evil? If we're following the Lord, we don't need to be delivered from the fowler. We don't need to be brought up out of the snare. The problem is we tend to wander. Don't we? Let's be honest. We do. We do. Nobody here is a super saint. Let's, all the super saints go somewhere else. Including the preacher. I'll be honest with you. But it says here, Deliver us from evil. Our God has delivered us from evil until now. Until now. Until now. It's always the now. He has delivered us from evil. He has delivered us from a wrath that was intended for us. He has kept us this thus this far. He kept us from murder hornets. He's kept us from COVID. He's kept us from isolation and heartbreak and depression. He's kept us up till now. He's kept us from hurricanes. He's kept us from the last hurricane, the next hurricane, floods, famine. He's kept us from uh, drought. He has kept us up till now. And He will continue. He will deliver us from evil if we continue to trust in Him. And we simply ask, Lord, I need this. I need help in here. And if I don't even know what to ask, the Bible tells us that He gives us utterings too deep for words. Lord, that I don't even have the words to say. My heart is swelling and tears are in my eyes and I groan and moan and don't even know how to pray. Well, that's good because I'm covered because He knows what I need before I even ask. So let's pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, Your name is holier than any other name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, You reign on heaven and in earth. Give me my daily bread. Sustain me from moment to moment. Keep me. Forgive me of my sins as I forgive others around me. I know that's one that people stumble over really hard. But I want you to remember that God forgives you of your trespasses against Him and you are to forgive those around you. And there's some of you who are still working on that. I understand. But just like Solomon loved the Lord only, just like Kevin loved the Lord only, he still carries grudges. Or so-and-so loves the Lord, but he's still dealing with that issue. He still loves us. And he does, not, he does not lead us into temptation, but He delivers us from evil. It's a process. You didn't get here overnight. He's still walking with you day by day, minute by minute. And you might be wondering tonight, does He still love me? Reminding you, church, because that's what I do. The pulpit is to remind the believers continually that our God loves us and He don't change. He loves you as much today, this moment, as you did when you first came to Him and repented of your sins. You're not going to lose your salvation. You're just not. God does not misplace His children. 
He holds on to them. He has paid a price for them, the precious blood of Jesus. And He's not simply going to misplace you. And believe me, you're not going to wander off or He will not hound you and chase you down and claim you for Himself. That's His protocol. That's what our God does. And I'm thankful that when the prodigal was way off the way, that the father hiked up his robe and ran to the child. Because that's the story of the prodigal. Really, it's the God who seeks out the child. Our God leaves the 99 to find these ones. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray.